Hi, it's Ronit popping in before the episode officially begins to let you know that my book, When She Comes Back, will be out on May 11th, 2021. It is going to be on Kindle, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. And it's currently in pre-order right now at all your favorite book sellers, including the big ones, but especially the small ones. And I highly encourage you to pick up a copy in pre-order at one of the independent booksellers you love. And if you send me a copy of your transaction, just take a picture of your purchase, send an email to me or send an Instagram message to me at Ronit Plank with a picture of your purchase, we will send you an audiobook of the memoir free. I was able to record the audiobook with Cedar House Audio in West Seattle, and I would love to thank you for supporting the book and independent booksellers with a free audiobook download of the book. And so all you have to do is either send me an email or send me a direct message on Instagram at Ronit Plank. And if you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, I send it about twice a month, and it just has news on podcast episodes as well as book news and appearances and interviews and new writing and things like that. So if you're interested in that, just let me know in your message, and I will be happy to sign you up for that. And thank you so much for being a listener and for showing up for these stories and for helping me build this community. I'm so grateful for your listenership. Man, like, what's the big picture? Uh, you know, we need to be more stable, especially if we're bringing a child in this in this world. And so, you know, it, at first I was like, man, I, I know I got some left in the tank. I know I can do it. But what's best for us? Like, I had to think outside of myself, you know, other than being selfish. And so, you know, I hung up the cleats. It was the toughest decision. Every day I think about it, like, dang, I see my friends on TV. They hit me up like, man, you should be here in the NFL. And the coach, my former coaches saying the same thing. And so it's there. It's like, man. But uh, but not deep down, man, I made the right decision. You know, it's, it's the toughest decision that I had to make. But it was the right one for me. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Kenneth Scott. He is a former athlete who graduated from the University of Utah, where he earned two degrees while being a student athlete. And he also received many awards for his combination of community service, athletic and academic performance, including most inspirational male student athlete, as well as opportunities to play professionally in the NFL and CFL. Welcome, Kenneth. Well, thank you for having me on. Definitely appreciate it, Ronit. You just became a dad for the second time and you have two girls, right? Yes, I do have two girls. I don't know if you're supposed to give me a trophy yet, but uh, <laughs> I should be awarded the best girl dad. I'm just playing. But yeah, no, I am I'm a glorified sure, I'm girl sure dad. you're a great dad, but you're really going to need the trophy getting through the teenage years, which I'm sure everyone <laughs> loves to tell you, right? Uh, I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready for it. <laughs> I, I can't count the number of times someone seems surprised by the behavior of a teenage girl when like all the literature is out there. We all know about this and yet we all think it's not going to happen to us, but you have years to go. So how old is the baby? Yes. Yeah, so 
I have my oldest daughter. She's three years old, just turned three in November. And mm-hmm. my newborn is a little over a month now. So Wow. And how's the older one doing? Is she pretty okay with it or is she a little upset? At first, she had to, you know, take some time to be like, who is this little creature in our house now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, as, as she's grown, she was able to, you know, kind of adjust and feel like, oh, uh, this is my little sister. I'm big yeah. sister now. So I try to, uh, well, we try to, you know, have her hold her, uh, feed her and things of that nature, you know, yeah. get her into the big sister role. But, you know, she's taking it on pretty well. Yeah, I'm I'm getting like a good vibe about it. Every kid responds differently. And and I have to ask this just because I went through a lot of sleep stuff with my kids. Are they sleeping or are they pretty decent sleepers or are you challenged there? Ooh, my three-year-old sleeps like like easily. Like you can have a whole party in her room. She still won't wake up. Uh, my newborn, uh, she's getting acclimated. Uh, I'll tell you a faulty story. Uh, so we got this machine to where you put the formula in, and you put water in it, and it kind of spews out. Like you just put how many ounces you want in the bottle. Oh, wow. It's like a like a Keurig for baby bottles. And so, like we use that machine and. Like maybe a week, a week goes by and my grandmother came over the house and she was, you know, using it. And she was like, why is this like watery? And we was like, why is it watery? And it comes to find out like the thing, the the Keurig looking baby bottle machine wasn't spitting out her formula in it. Right. It was so basically she was just drinking water because I was wondering why she was, you know, using the bathroom a lot. And Um, uh, so that's why she was cranky in the beginning as far as not sleeping. Right. Yeah. But now she's good. She sleeps about a couple hours now because she's nice and fed. You mean because you're feeding her? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so of, good. So she's well hydrated. <laughs> well, well, Grandma gets an award then because Grandma like figured that out. She's <laughs> like, FYI, you're starving your baby. But um, right? okay, well, so I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, a full belly really helps. We have so much to talk about, and I, I want to ask. Let's get into this. So I know a little bit about your story, and I know where we're going. Um, I don't know the whole story, but I, I do want to go back a little bit and talk about you know what growing up was like for you because. From the sound of it, you have a pretty, pretty stable family life, an adorable, you know, couple of children. Things are going well for you. And I'm not sure if life was like that for you when you were growing up. Yeah, you know, for me growing up, um, I would say like this, it was it was dysfunctional. Uh, you know, put into terms, you know, mm. growing up for the first part of my life, you know, it was really just me and my mother. She was a single mother. Uh, my mother was sick. You know, she had lupus. She had systemic lupus. Um, and to people that know, it's not curable. And so at times, you know, with that lupus, she felt very fatigued, achy, uh, stiff. And there's times where I had to carry her around because she couldn't move at all. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. And so along with that, you know, we were living off Section 8 food stamps, you know, her SSI checks, you know, those welfare programs. And you know, you know, food at times wasn't the a great option for us, you know. So there was times where she sacrificed not eating for me, you know, those types of moments. Where did you grow up? Like what, what state were you in? Yeah, so I grew up in California. So I lived uh, in Southern California, about 45 minutes east of L.A. in a place called Rialto, California, um, on, a, on the borderline of Fontana, California. And did you have family nearby? Did you have um, other support at all or was it just you and your mom? Yeah, so... You know, I was born in Texas in uh, Houston, and then me and my mom left to California when I was four years old. And so when we moved to California, the only family we really had in California in that area was my auntie and my uh, my cousins. And, and that was really the only family we had. Everybody else was out here in Texas. 
Mm-hmm. And and did your your extended family have a sense that food was an issue or that that your mom was struggling? Yeah, they had they had an idea, but my mother, you know, she was very strong willed, you know, and her her <laughs> greatest phrase is everything is going to be all right. And so if if someone else were were to ask her like, hey, everything's OK, everything's good. You know, she would obviously lie to him and be like, everything's going to be all right. You know, and but my my family can feel that like she's like, man, something's not right. And so uh, but yeah, my mother would try to hide it to the best of her abilities to prove that she was strong and uh to, you know, as we've grown, we realized, and as my mother and me and my mother was growing, as uh, you know, I got into my collegiate years, we had a talk, and we realized, you know, sometimes it's okay to be vulnerable, so that you know, people can connect with us in, in different marks. But oh, that's uh, that's yeah. really interesting. So you feel like hers came from a, a place of pride and and faith, maybe, and and she wanted to believe that it was going to work out. Correct. Yeah. And so she wouldn't let people know what was happening. And did you, did you have a point in, as a child when things got to a breaking point or where did you ever get frustrated or angry at your mom for not, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just sort of curious about, you know, being the child of a single parent. I, I remember at least I had a sibling. I don't know. Were you an only child? Yeah, I was so. Yeah, I'm the only child. I was the only child to my mother. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Well, I remember. I remember. I lived with just my mom for a while, and then I lived with my father for a while. And you know, it's a. It's kind of a strange feeling when you have only one parent around. They feel that much more, you know, valuable. And I worried about. I worried about my father when he got hurt. Even though he was a strong, tall guy, I remember being really worried. He had this cane for a while because of an injury, and I thought, what's going to happen if he can't take care of me. And, you know, of course, as a child, that's what I thought of. Um, I was, I was worried about him too, but I'm wondering as you got older as a child, you know, what was your feeling about where you were, your mom, what you wanted from her, what you could ask for her? Yeah. So for me, I, I didn't tend to ask my mother too much for anything because I knew the situation that was at hand. So I tried to just be there for her for comfort. But growing up, you know, I was very angry, um, more angry at so for my, my biological father, just for not being there, you know? And, and so my anger towards him, uh, kind of, I guess, blurred out everything else that, that going on. It's like, man, how can you leave a child out here? Cause my father, he's from Texas, like he's from Houston. And so he still lives in Houston. And so my, you know, my problems came with him of like, you knew my mother was sick. You knew I was, she was a single parent. You knew this, like, why aren't you here? And so I just felt that, you know, my mother was trying to be strong so that she, you know, so I can be strong, that type of thing, and realize that, you know, we were in a good situation. And But, you know, ultimately over time, as you think about it, it, it does more harm than good, you know, trying to hold that strong personality instead of opening up and being vulnerable. Yeah, I, I would imagine that too. And I wonder also if she was ill, if she seemed kind of in fragile health, if you felt like you had to protect her from your anger. Yeah, definitely. I felt like because she had, a, you know, her illness, so she couldn't do a lot of things, but she still tried to. So, yeah. <laughs> like, did you ever as, do the cooking and stuff for her or go, f- you know, food shopping for her? Or did she want to do those things? I tried. <laughs> it's, you know, I was a young boy. So, like, when I got to the age of nine, uh, that's when my mother had married 
and I, I had a stepfather. And so like from nine years old and below, you know, it was just me and my mom. And I tried to do the things for her as far as helping her go to the store. But she was just so strong willed. Like she was like, I got it, baby. But like when I hit that nine years old mark and um, she, she married and I had a stepfather at that time and he brought in two of his own kids. You no, know, things started to change a little bit. And so they were helped. I mean, that was additional help from what we had before. And so not to answer your question, more like I did help as much as I could. And then yeah. uh, once once my mom, you know, took that next step and, you know, marrying someone else, then that additional help did help for some time. Right. And I think if I recall from our earlier talk, it wasn't exactly an easy relationship with your stepdad. There was some some issues physically and emotionally. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. So like, you know, it was at first it was tough because I had to get used to a new male figure, you know, trying mm-hmm. to uh, running household. I never had a male figure running household. It was just me and my mom. So this was new to me. Like, I can only who is imagine. this man? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I had a, I can't <laughs> you make me laugh a lot. I mean, I know it's not like a funny story, but yeah, I know. Like, who is this guy? What is he doing yeah. here? Yeah. And so, like, you know, it took some time to get used to, you know, a lot of bumps in the road, uh, having him and needing him to uh, me needing to understand him and also uh, him understanding me as well in my background. So it took a couple of years to uh, kind of, oh, yeah, probably till high school and even in high school, things were a little, you know, friction. But, you know, it just took some time to kind of get to know each other and what he was trying to achieve. But now I understand as I've gone older. But at that time, I didn't understand anything. Did you like your siblings? Did you guys get along? Oh, yeah. I loved my stepbrothers. You know, I and I don't recall them my stepbrothers. I call them my real brothers. You know, one of them, I was with him since he was one years old. Aww. And yeah, so I, he, I'm all he knows, you know, and the other one, I was with him since he was 16 years old. And he's like now 30 something, 32 oh. or something like that. Yeah. So about 20 years. Yeah. So uh, 20 years older than me. Well, it was 20 years to that point. So, yeah. So he's older now. So, you know, we've been through all the thick and thin together as, as one. And so uh, they're my real brothers. That's awesome. And are you, are, is your mom still married to him? They are no longer together. They divorced, uh, I think it was 2014, 2013, something like that, a divorce. Uh, and my mom passed away in 2016. Oh, and I'm so, sorry. I didn't realize that. Yeah, she, she passed away in 2016. It was uh, more so on the complications of, you know, it had a flare up because of lupus, you know, um, and plus uh, she had blood clots in like her neck and her legs. And so if you were to rub her skin, it would feel like you was rubbing like a toy doll. That's how her skin felt. It's just it's just a weird type of feeling. And so uh, and this wasn't her first time encountering death uh, when she was when I was younger. Um, the doctor told her she had three days to live once she had, um, you know, birthed me. You know, she had a stroke, went into a coma and <laughs> it was like a miracle. She just woke up and. Hey, and I was the first, the first thing that came out of my mouth is I want to see my son. And so like, yeah, so she's been battling, you know, through that lupus for 24 years and longer than many people have. And, you know, it was a blessing in disguise. You know, that's, that's another, I didn't realize, I, I knew that she had poor health, but I didn't realize that this idea of fragile health sort of was in that relationship with her your whole life. You know, that she was just, there's this idea about your parent that, you know, there's something about them that, that is really vulnerable. Right. And so like the relationship, 
um, and the dynamic between my mother and my stepfather. At first, it was great. You know, this puppy love stage, you know, the marriage was great. And then over time, you know, things start to go a little sour. Like, I don't, you know, that's one of the things I would love to, you know, have a conversation with him about, you know, kind of see, you know, what went wrong? Like, what were some things that, you know, changed, you know, the relationship? Why did this happen or this happen, you know, to where you guys just split? Um, because my mom, at the end of her life, uh, she wrote in, she was trying to write a book. And uh, so she, I got all her journals and because she was prepping to write that book. And she goes from her the beginning of her life all the way to the end. You know, it was just interesting. And, and the conversation she was having uh, with herself, just asking her questions, like questioning herself uh, about her current situation in life and about future things, about her relationship, about going through adversity. So it was a lot of good tidbits in there. And so there are some questions that I would love answered, you know, mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. other side to kind of get a full, you know, just get a full uh, perception about everything. So, you know, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, I know that there was some adjustment period for you as a family. Was your stepdad good to your mom? Ah, man, you know, at times, at other times it can, it can be, <laughs> it can be, uh, it can be on the, on the other side, uh, you know, um, you know, physically and emotionally, you know, so I understand how that emotional abuse can, you know, just stack up and then <laughs> it can drive some people crazy and ultimately lead them down, a, down a bad path. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've witnessed it. Um, you know, I seen it and, you know, growing up, you, you just, it's not, it's not like you're like, oh, this, this must be normal. Like this must be okay. Or is it normal? Cause like, you know, and you're in the household and you're like, man, is this normal? And then it didn't take till, you know, I started seeing other family dynamics to realize like this, this, this type of relationship is toxic. It's not normal. You know, cause when I went to, when I first got to high school, uh, I got shipped like 45 minutes away from where I live to go to another high school because they wanted me to get new friends. And so during that time, I would spend a lot of time with my, well, he's now my god brother, but at that time, it was a, a family that, you know, was a great dynamic, has like mother, father in the home, uh, you know, two kids, you know, and so the dynamic was amazing. And so I would, you know, go over there, spend the night, um, and they took me in as like another son. And and so just seeing their dynamic as a family was like, wow, this is totally different. And then when I went to Utah and I, I spent a lot of time with my scholarship donor family and seeing their dynamic and how they communicate uh, as far as husband and wife and their kids. I'm like, dang, this dynamic is different. You know, this is that what I was going through wasn't normal. And so um, and it changed a lot of perspective. I remember reaching out to my stepfather. It was towards the time when my mother and him was divorcing and kind of. <laughs> through anger, you know, lashed out and, and said a lot of things. And, and, uh, and, and I'm still searching for answers, you know, to figure out like what went wrong, you know, so I can find my peace and, and hopefully get some questions answered. Mm, yeah. I, I really understand that when you're a child and, and, and even a young adult in high school, it, it is really an interesting thing to realize wow, people don't live exactly like my family lives. This is not, right. this is not necessarily what other people experience. And it can raise a lot of questions. What did sports mean to you while you were in middle school and high school? Man, sports meant everything to me. It was a way for me to kind of dilute the situation at home and, and take escape. Uh, allowed me to take my mind elsewhere off of everything that was surrounding it. 
And so like the game of football to me wasn't like football to me. It was more of me trying to overcome everything else that I was facing in my, my real, my real life, you know, trying to mask everything. And so like when I was in football, it was like, man, solitude. But when I, when I got home, it was a different beast. And so that's what sports meant to me. It's just, you know, it felt like home, a place of solitude for me. Mm-hmm. And did your family encourage you for sports? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I didn't even want to play sports growing up. I didn't even think about sports. You know, my stepfather, uh, when he came into my life, he's the one that really got me into sports. You know, I was I was secluded. I was clung to my mother, obviously, because of her illness. But, you know, I didn't even think about sports. And then my stepfather, you know, when he came into my life, he realized, like, man, you're staying in the house all day, every day. You don't have no friends. <laughs> like, no friends. you just in the room. Because I was very artistic. So I would, like, draw. I would write. I would do a lot of artistic type things. And uh, my family, to be honest with you, they were kind of worried that I was, you know, too introverted. And so uh, my stepfather was the one that kind of uh, pushed me out of the house to, you know, go explore, like find new friends, to go Mm. do, go do something. Right. As Mm -hmm. far as uh, so you can figure out who you want to be, you know, (laughs) as a whole. So. Well, you went. I mean, that's a credit to you, too. I mean, it's credit to him, but it's a credit that you went. And it sounds like (laughs) it sounds like you were. Did you discover that you were good at it? Yeah, it's crazy. So I like I picked up basketball. You know, basketball is one of the common things in the neighborhood um, that you just go around. So I had a basketball court that was janky. It was like kind of lopsided, but there was a whole <laughs> bunch of kids playing. And then obviously I was tall, you know, and so people want to mm-hmm. pick me up. They didn't know I was good at basketball. They just seen I was <laughs> tall. And so, you know, I would get picked up on the team. And all I did, you know, was, you know, get a rebounds and rebounds is just basically if someone misses a shot. I will grab the ball and put it back in the hoop. And so, you know, I, I used that to my advantage. Um, and so my stepfather came to a point where I, you know, first started high school. He was like, Hey, listen, you right at that time, I was six, one, you know, I was a freshman. I'm six, three now, but I was six, one. <laughs> and he was like, Hey, listen, you playing basketball, but the position you're playing in basketball, which was the post, that's the position like a Shaq will play or a Giannis, you know, just to kind of correlate. He was like, you're six, one, you don't really have no future in this if you want to make it make it he said but if you played football with your size and your 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 skill set that you have in basketball you can take that to the football field and you might make a good make make something out of yourself and so I did that and it was all she wrote from there wow so did you pick it up pretty fast yeah I did pick it up pretty fast it was I was like a natural you know um, when I was younger uh, when I was younger, I was playing with guys two to three years older than me. Um, you know, I was like nine years old playing with 11 and 12 year olds um, just because my skill set was pretty advanced. And then when I got into uh, high school, um, I got uh, moved up to varsity from freshman and JV. I just got moved up straight to varsity wow. you know, because my skill set was there. And uh, and so I just basically took everything that I learned in basketball and applied it to football because my position was wide receiver. And a wide receiver is the person that's outside and the quarterback throws in the ball. He's supposed to catch it. And so that's basically what I did. It was like me out there on the basketball court getting rebounds, but on the football mm, field. Right, <laughs> right. That's so, I love to hear stories like that because my whole life I wanted to find the thing that I was great at. Like I thought <laughs> I will be discovered. <laughs> yeah. And it like never really happened, you know? And so it's fun to hear a story of someone who really just found their place in this area, this arena and like soared, you know, right. like it's a really fun thing to hear. 
it, it is <laughs> it is crazy how I just <laughs> I think about it like man how did I pick up football like it just I think it just happened naturally it just yeah. you know I just went into it yeah so then so then tell me about college and Utah and you know how things were going there Man, Utah was beautiful. I loved it. Initially, when I was getting recruited out of high school, because I was a national recruit, um, I was number 34 in the nation at my position. And so, you know, I, had, I was fortunate enough to be able to choose where I had wanted to go to college from like the many scholarships I had. And so initially when Utah offered me a scholarship, I was like, I didn't even know where Utah was. I had to literally <laughs> Google where is Salt Lake City, Utah at? And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so they won me over. I remember when I committed to them, meaning that, you know, I told them, hey, I'm going to your school. When I was 16, my mom was peed off. She was like, she called the coach, like, how are you going to take a, a, a a commitment from a 16-year-old. This dude's only a baby <laughs> and stuff like that. But I was like, mom, this feels like home to me. And so, but my mom, you know, she was caring. She, she didn't want me to go too far, you know, from her, you know. So uh, I want her, uh, they want her over. But uh, I got to Utah, man. Utah was a beautiful place. It was just extremely different. The thing that was so different about it is because I never experienced snow in my life, you know, being in California and, you know, finally experiencing snow. It was great. Oh, until yeah. <laughs> until like the black ice came and you, yeah. you see people over here falling on campus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can imagine from California, like going to Utah must have been refreshing in a way. I mean, I grew up in New York and I really didn't know much about the West. And so everything was different for me and for you to get out of sort of that urban environment and see this different landscape oh, and all these man. people were so different. So different. It was crazy. I didn't. So. Uh, when I went to Salt Lake City, I didn't know it was diverse as as diverse as I thought. So when I, you know, when you think about Utah, you think about, you know, it's just. Just uh, say it. You're going to say it. <laughs> you know, it's just. Like all, crackers. All, like yeah, crackers. All, all white people. Right. Yeah. And so. Uh, and so I was like, man. And so when I get there. It was different. You know, it was, you had white people, you had uh, Pacific Islanders, you had uh, black people, you had uh, Mexicans, wow, you had everybody. It was crazy. I was like, I, ne- I didn't even think in a million years this would be like this. But if you went down to like Provo, where like BYU is, then that's where you get like the stereotypical like mm-hmm. <laughs> Utah feeling. Mm-hmm. But where I was, it was different. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that was awesome. But um, to go back to, you know, my time at Utah, I mean, I loved it. You know, that's where I met my wifey. Um, you know, she played basketball at University of Utah. And so uh, that's where we met. And then, you know, obviously in sports, had a great time. Um, doing sports, you know, and was able to position myself to, you know, be one of those uh, people that they deemed as like a fan favorite. Like even oh, till wow. now, people love mm-hmm. me. And every time I go back to Utah, you know, they, they show some, a significant amount of love. But, wow. Um, and that, yeah. is, that happened to do, does that have to do with um, not only your sportsmanship, but also the other activities and, and just kind of what you brought to your time there? Yes, yes, most definitely. Uh, you know, obviously the sports, but, you know, the community work. You know, I would go out to uh, schools, you know, talk to the kids. I would go out to detention centers, talk to those kids, jail cells, talk to those guys in there, uh, uh, shelters, talk to them, the homeless people. Like, I would just be out in the community just helping and serving. But what made you do that? What made you do that? 
Uh, to be honest with you, you know, growing up, you know, my mom, you know, she had that serving feeling, you know, even though we were dead broke, you know, I remember us going to the grocery store with our food stamps and, you know, someone, someone's car gets declined or whatever. My mom would be like, Hey, here, I can put you on my food stamps to, you know, pay for your meal, that type of thing. Or, you know, it's just, it looks crazy. You know, my mom giving people like, uh, you know, some money just so that they can like a homeless person, some money, even though (laughs) if they really seen it, we we weren't even in that much better shape than they were, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but it's just that servant feeling. My mom always thought outside of herself and wanted to help others. And so, and I think I kind of got that naturally. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah, that's where it came yeah. from. So that was, that was just something you were doing all the time. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Giving back. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, I did that in college and, you know, I'm gonna be honest, you know, things wasn't always bubbles and roses, you know, while I was in college, like, uh, my freshman year, you know, I had to uh, do do counseling, you know, for my for my mental health issues. The environment I did growing up, you know, and, you know, <laughs> not to make any excuse, but not having a father in my life to kind of teach me the ropes and be there for me with my sick mother and, and all those other accolades. I don't, I don't accolades. think that's an excuse. I mean, I the more I learn, and, you know, I'm not a therapist, of course, although I probably should have maybe been one because I really like to <laughs> listen to stories and things and figure stuff out. But I think that, um, you know, the, the older I get, the more I realize exactly how impactful a parent is. And it sounds silly, like, of course they are, but you really, your whole life, I think, is determined for to a large extent by how you start, you know? Right. And then you have to spend all these years figuring out what wasn't ideal and making it better. And and like, you have to do the work based on what you got growing up. And so it's, it's really interesting to me that you found your way to therapy. Was that something you decided to do or did someone suggest that you go? Oh, no, it was highly suggested. Um, you know, there was times in practice, you know, where I just, uh, just, just a whole bunch of anger and built up animosity. And, and, you know, there's, there's articles out there, uh, like on Google, where my coach says, you know, you know, I'm very passionate about everything I do, you know, and he was just talking about channeling my emotions into something positive, uh, or as far as, um, uh, yeah, just channeling my emotions, to, you know, for execution, because, you know, on the field, I would you know, yell at the refs, yell at my players, just mm-hmm. just just doing a whole bunch of outbursts for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. now I'm like the most chillest person ever. Like my wife is like, man, you like <laughs> you don't get mad at anything. It's like, man, I'm just chill. Like nothing's that serious to me no more. And so. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, they. You know, I had to go three times a week, about four yeah. hours, four hours every time, four hour sessions. And, really? and so it was awesome. Yeah, I, I loved it, though, because it allowed me to finally, uh, you know, take out all this built up stuff inside of me and be able to talk to somebody about it. You know, and not have them judge me for anything, you know, or yeah, and not having them judge me. And so that was awesome to me. I'm impressed with your coach and I'm impressed with the program that they gave that to you, that they like provided this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So when you were in college, what was your plan? When you were playing, you know, what was your plan going ahead with with football? Like, what did you see your life, you know, taking shape like? Man, when I first got into college, my plan. All right. I'm doing three years in college and I'm going to the NFL. Like, I don't care about no education. You can say that. I'm trying to get to the big bucks. And so that yeah. was my plan three years in. And so that plan, you know, got disrupted 
with a quickness. Um, so, you know, my freshman year coming to camp, you know, I'm doing really good. I'm, I'm working my way up to the projected starter. Uh, it was like a week before the game. Uh, we was doing this uh, speed and space drills where me as a receiver has to um, – run past a defender in order to score a touchdown. It's a one-on-one drill. And so, you know, I, I shake the guy and I stiff-armed him um, into the ground, but I stiff-armed him into my ankle. And my ankle just tore all the ligaments in my ankle. And so uh, from there, I had to set out a whole season. I had to rehab. I had to fight through uh, the doctor saying, well, if this don't heal up, you'll never play again, going through that roller coaster of emotions, uh, and to finally make it back. And so that was the beautiful thing. And then, uh, you know, going through, you know, my sophomore year and junior year, uh, and then coming to like my quote unquote breakout year, another injury came in the first game where a defender landed on my other ankle and tore all the ligaments out of my ankle. And, and these injuries is like, I couldn't feel nothing. Like they said, if I would have broke my bone, I probably would have came back in six to eight weeks. But since I tore all the ligaments, it takes so much longer because you have to regain that strength, not only to what it was, but probably get better. So you can be a better person. But, uh, you know, going through all that, you know, my initial plan was three years and I'm out. And after those injuries, I was I started to think way differently, like, dang, this this football thing may not plan out. Like, <laughs> I mean, like you never know. And it just it, it changed my whole mindset. Like, man, I know I was here for football, but let me focus on this education real quick. Mm. You know, and my <laughs> wife, she she's the main person that that was like look you need to get your education like like come on now if you haven't seen the thread like you got injured your first year yeah football is boom you got injured the, the year that you were supposed to like have a the biggest year and move off to the nfl it, your, your leg break again right let's focus on your education and so i ended up with you know two degrees you know one in um, human development and family studies and then the second one was in economics and so uh you know, I got those two degrees and then luckily for me, I still was able to, you know, finish. Uh, I think I'm top 10 now in the uh, school history for like most catches um, oh, in wow. a career and stuff like that. And so and having all these accolades. So I had a good career uh, and obviously I was able to uh, venture off and have the opportunity, you know, to play, uh, you know, have the opportunity to be with uh the, the Rams in the NFL and then had the opportunity to be with the Montreal Alouettes um, in the CFL. So, uh, you know, as far as my football career, it didn't go as I would have, <laughs> as I had in mind when I was 17 yeah. coming into college. But, you know, a lot of things took place. But, you know, one thing about it, I was just persistent and just kept fighting through all the adversity to, you know, it, it helped me yeah. shape my perspective. You know, when you get, when you get hurt like that, you know, I, I know this might surprise you, but I've never played football, Kenneth. <laughs> but um, <laughs> when you get injured like that, uh, even when you recover, is there a sense for you, was there a sense of uh, frailty or concern about your body? Like when you get that injured and, and then, of course, it happens again, you know, even if you recovered, is there a sense about you that like, whoa, I can break and I don't know if I want to keep breaking? Man, you do. You do have that sense every single time you step out in that field. Even if the water, the 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 water, the water girl comes right next to you, and you like, oh, oh, and you're looking at your foot like, don't step on my ankle. Like they don't have nothing to do with the ankle. Like you know, you just you have that in your mind. Like man, you're just so cautious about everything. But uh, on the other side, you're like, man, the the 
the reward is so much greater if I just keep pushing, right? The big bucks, you know, that everybody, you know, thinks that people are getting in the NFL. <laughs> uh, and so that reward to me was like, hey, anything that I go through, it doesn't amount to nothing. I'm going to keep on risking everything. And so at the time, you know, I was like, you know, it's just, I guess this is the, the journey that I have to go through, the path I got to take to get to the NFL. But uh, now that I think about it, I'm like, dang, I put myself through some crazy stuff right. <laughs> uh, for that reward. So, you know, it's yeah. crazy. So so by the time that you realize, like, how, can you take me to that decision or that that realization? that Oh, I'm not going to I'm not doing this anymore. Like, what was that like for you? <sighs> Man, it was depressing at first because, you know, I lost my identity. You know, no pun intended. I had that question like now everything changed. Like, you know, what yeah, I'm saying? it's like, yeah. like, what do I do now? Because it got to a point. So I had the opportunity with the Rams, got released, I had the opportunity with the CFL, got released over Twitter. They didn't even tell me. I got. Oh, I had no. to see it on Twitter. I'm like, wow, mm. thanks. And then I got another opportunity with another CFL team and they were getting ready to offer me a contract. And, you know, I kind of. I declined it because, you know, it was at that point where our firstborn, our firstborn was, you know, still in the oven and we're about to be due soon. And so I just, you know, I had a long talk with my wifey and it's like, man, like, what's the big picture? Uh, you know, we need to be more stable, especially if we're bringing a child in this in this world. And so, you know, it, at first I was like, man, I, I know I got some left in the tank. I know I can do it what's best for us. Like I had to think outside of myself, you know, other than being selfish. And so, you know, I hung up the cleats. It was the toughest decision every day. I think about it like, dang, I see my friends on TV. They hit me up like, man, you should be here in the NFL. And the coach, my former coaches saying the same thing. And so it's there. It's like, man, but, uh, but not deep down, man, I made the right decision. You know, it's, it's the toughest decision that I had to make, but it was the right one for me and my family. And that's what's most important. Yeah. I mean, I hear it. I hear that you feel that way. I, f I really do. I like, I don't, I, I hear what you understand you could have had or you're missing in a sense, but I don't hear that you're missing it, you know, in that really deep, painful way. Right. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I don't miss it in a deep, painful way. At first I did. I didn't even want to watch football. I'm like, man, turn that off. <laughs> but now, but now I can watch football, man. I was like, man, Hey, I had my time. I did what I had to do. I don't really have any regrets. It was great mm -hmm. while I played. You know, now I'm focused on my daughters. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. let's see what, what we're going to make out of them. You know, whether they're <laughs> going to be athletes, artists, uh, you know, whatever they want to be. Like, I'm shaping them to be whatever they want to be. And so uh, that's my new, quote unquote, playing field in the game yeah. I'm trying to win. Do you like being a father? Oh, my God. It's the best dang thing ever. Like, <laughs> like I've always, uh, you know, loved kids as far as because I always spent my time, you know, helping kids as far as reading books to them and all that. So I figured, you know, I will love being a parent. And so, you know, when it, when I got the opportunity to, uh, you know, when, when we, you know, was like, all right, let's let's go. <laughs> I was yeah. like, let's do it. And so, you know, it's it's been the best days of my life just seeing them evolve every day. Like literally, I'm like, dang, that's crazy. You learning something new again. <laughs> yeah, there they go again. Can you talk about your work now and, and what you do and, you know, your mission and all that? Yeah, most definitely. So for me right now, what I do is I help student athletes. And so I founded a business called Maximizing a Student Athlete. And so what I do, I help student athletes, you know, sell and market themselves to get exposure to colleges, 
you know, it's basically the same thing I was doing when I was in college to get that exposure. And I just teach them the ropes and the different pathways to take so that they can be, you know, successful and taking where they want to be to where they are now. So, you know, I do workshops at schools. Um, I even do one-on-one type stuff with them and their family. And I also do like different keynotes so I can go to the school and then give them a good talk. And so uh, that's what I do now. I, I love doing it. I love teaching. And then on the other side, um, I also work in the, the business to business side of T-Mobile. So I, I meet with CEOs and C-suites, uh, people all day just to discuss their business and figure out ways how they can make them more efficient, more productive and, and things of that nature to like kind of reduce that bottom line. So in turn, they can increase that top line. And so I manage uh, a team of eight. I have a team of eight sellers. And so, you know, I, they, go out, they go out there in the Houston market to, you know, kind of do a consultative, you know, basically running our own little franchise of T-Mobile. And yeah. so, uh, and so that's what I do now, man. And, and I love it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's sales is one of the best things ever. You know, if you can sell, <laughs> if you get, if you know sales, hey, yeah. you, you can get anything you want in life. So Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's a really good skill to have. And it sounds like you're good at it. Do you, is there something in particular that, that comes up again and again, or that you really caution student athletes about, or you really try to drive home with them? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's the, nothing's as great as you may think, and nothing is as bad as it may think, you know, kind of keeping that level perspective is what I teach them. Cause you have some recruits that think they're high and mighty that think they're on top of the world. And sometimes you want to bring them down to reality, just a notch, you know, and gain that perspective because, you know, life isn't all about ball, you know, even though ball is great, there's going to be a time that you have to hang up those cleats. And so what you do while you have that time, you know, when you're playing, uh, we got to maximize it so that after ball, it can be that much greater. And, you know, kind of going back to the point where I was in my career, you know, doing a community stuff, you you know, making a name for yourself outside of football will ultimately help you in football and when you get done with it. And so it's kind of bringing that to their realization, uh, you know, to being a better human being overall rather than just being a great athlete. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you, I mean, I feel like you're pretty young. I'm not totally sure your age, but I feel like you've, or maybe you told me, but you've like done so much. (laughs) I mean, you know, like emotionally too, you know, you've been into all these different like nooks and crannies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm 28. I'm 28. I turned so, yeah. 29 in September. Team Virgo. Mm. Oh, I'm a Virgo. Let's go. High five. Yeah, September yes. 19th. Oh, my gosh. One of my best friends ever has that birthday. I'm September 9th. Oh, let's go. Virgos. Oh, yeah, Team that's Virgos. Right. That's what I'm talking that's right. about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, you know, where can people like find you or follow you? Is there is there a website or like, you know, social media that you want them to find you? Yeah, sure. My social media is, uh, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, it's the same. It's kscott underscore two. And on those sites, it's like my personal blog. Like, you know, you can come, you know, see what it's like to, kscott is a family man. kscott has a community purpose. kscott of what he loves to do, you know, in his off time. So uh, that's where you can get everything kscott on those social media channels. <laughs> Are you going to have some merch too? Like, can I get some swag? Ooh, hey. <laughs> hey, Roli, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm in the works of having some apparel. Um, I just, that's crazy. You said it. I have another meeting this Friday and uh, um, we're discussing the business plan and the rollout uh, wow. for, for an apparel line. I can't give too much details. Ooh, out yet. I'll just have to follow you. We'll have yeah. to all follow you to get to get like the unveiling. That's yes. really funny. Okay. I just have to tell you, I have had such a great time talking with you. I appreciate it. Likewise.
Yeah. <laughs> I really, I'm like so happy for you and your family and your wife and your babies. And I just feel like you have this sense of where you're going and you're so centered. And I, I, I know that it wasn't always easy and you, you kind of fought to be here. So I'm just, I'm really so happy for you. And I appreciate that so much, you know, and one of the things I value so much is other people's stories. So you having this type of platform is awesome because like you said earlier, you love listening to other stories and <laughs> when you listen to other people's stories, man, it just does something to you. It's like, man, it makes everybody relatable. You can connect with so much more people. And so, man, I love what you're doing. It just, man, just keep doing it. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you do next. And maybe I'll be buying some of that swag. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening.